nomine Patris et Filii Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua midiarbus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus nunc, et in mortis nostre. Amen. Nomine Patris, Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Brethren in Christ, laudetu Jesus Christus. In secula, Mr. Mr. Uh, Flanders. Yes, I'm here with Mr. Hall, co-host, friend, and author, author of Terror of Demons, also the name of this show. This show is the Terror of Demons podcast, reclaiming traditional Catholic masculinity. That's what we're all about. We're here bright and early on far, in farmer's hours on election day. Kennedy, <laughs> how you doing, brother? Good. I'm excited for this bloody election. Um, I'm not even in America, but you know we're all waiting for to see what happens. So it's a sort of anticipation situation going on. Yeah, we're going to talk about... Uh, Getting a little perspective on today's uh, date and what's happening and what's going to happen. Uh, the subject of this show is the triumph of our fathers over death. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about the great feasts that we just celebrated and how to carry those into our daily lives. Uh, this month is the month of the Holy Souls. So this is the first of a few shows we're going to do on the Holy Souls and what that means for us. Today we have St. Martin de Porres, a great uh, apostle of the mm. Africans in the New World um, from 1639. We also have St. Charles Borromeo yeah, this him. week, great uh, anti-Protestant uh, or counter-Reformation uh, bishop. Um, let me see what else we have. Um, we've got St. Willebrord on Saturday, apostle to the Dutch. Shout out to all our brethren in the Netherlands. This show, mainly we have a, a few cops. We've got uh, one construction worker. Shout out to Anthony in America. And then this the, the early morning show is is also seen by, a few, we've got a few European viewers and also some Australians. So shout out to Australia as well. So, um, <clears throat> so today, the triumph of our fathers over death. So first of all, Halloween. Kennedy had a great video on Halloween with uh, Father David Sherry. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched that, but Kennedy also has a has his own podcast, his own show at the Fatima Center called The Kennedy Report. Kennedy, you want to uh, tell us about The Kennedy Report and then tell us what uh, what y'all do for uh, Halloween? Sure, yeah. The Kennedy Report, uh, it's a weekly show um, where we just try to take – well, it's not like necessarily current events like the news, but we try to take um, important things around people's minds that could be in the news, could not, but have to do with the message of Fatima in some way. Sometimes it won't have anything to do with Fatima at the odd time for maybe something just like the Halloween episode that we did. It was more, we were up there with the priests and we were talking about it and, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the Father Sherry said, well, I know a lot about this. And I said, oh, let's just do a show on it. You know, it was sort of spontaneous, but... For example, yesterday we put out an episode called Trump, Vigano, and Fatima, trying to just connect some dots between um, Donald Trump, what Vigano has been saying, and the message of Fatima, right? We always try to bring it back to Fatima because we're at the Fatima Center. We're trying to get uh, more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not acknowledgement. Uh, spread the message, I guess, uh, for people to pray for the consecration of Russia, the, the true consecration that hasn't happened. So, which for a long time was uh, seen as like a conspiracy theory but now has been vindicated by a lot of people, including Vigano. So yeah, that's what we do there. Yeah. Excellent. So, and what'd you, what'd y'all do for, um, well, can you maybe, maybe give us a few sentences summarizing your video, which I thought was very good. And I think that's great for when we talk about the whole year round about all these, these traditions and, sure. uh, yeah. what, what did the hall family and the hall boys and girl and Mrs. Hall do for Halloween? Um, okay. Well, um, so basically the background of Halloween, um, it really is. I mean, it's a lot of festivals in the church. They are formerly pagan festivals. Um, even Ember Days. Well, Ember Days isn't, aren't pagan, but they go back all the way to the Old Testament and they have to do with harvest and that sort of thing. Um, Jesus was born on December 25th. Nonetheless, the, um, the uh, tradition of bringing Christmas trees and things like that, there does seem to be some precedent before that like the evergreen trees. There does seem to be some precedent before that around the same time of year and like in the pagan uh, traditions and things. Um, you know, 
the church takes whatever is good and just like they do with Aristotle, right? Just like they do with um, other pagan philosophers or authors. I know at classical Catholic schools, you'll often study the uh, great Greek works and things, you know, the, the Iliad and so forth. You take what is good because obviously um, everyone uh, is bound by the natural law. Everyone can have this innate yearning to know the truth and therefore even the pre-Christians, of course, could do some good things, okay? So if something is good, you take it. And if something is bad, you leave it. So as far as festivals go, the church, especially in the early days when everyone was still pagan, looked around and basically said, okay, there are lots of festivals going on. And a festival in and of itself is a good thing, feasting for a joyful occasion. Um, but it's what the festival is about that we need to change. If, you know, obviously to make it, to make a Christian. So there was a festival called Samhain, which was big amongst the Celtic peoples, uh, Ireland, Scotland, so forth. And it was basically a fall harvest kind of thing. Um, although in all these pagan festivals, of course, there would be a um, uh, pagan religious element, which obviously is ultimately diabolical. So anyway, the church saw this and she... Uh, baptized, you might say, or co-opted the Festival of Samhain in late October, moved All Saints uh, Day to the end of October, early November. And it was actually used to be on May 13th, which is interesting. Um, and that festival became known as Halloween eventually. So in, uh, well, the eve of the festival is Halloween, right? All Hallows Eve. And various countries have different um, traditions. Uh, sometimes people think Halloween is just this made-up North American thing. You know, it's, uh, I don't know, against the Puritans or something. I, but there is precedent. I mean, they used to hollow out uh, turnips and put candles in them. Um, people used to go around to and make little jack-o'-lanterns, you know, and, and that was in Ireland and Scotland and things. I don't know how they hollowed out a turnip, but they did. <laughs> um, pumpkins, as we know them, are uh, sort of a North American um are, are they technically a fruit? I think they're technically a fruit. <laughs> but anyway, they're they're North American uh, food. So that's just sort of a geographical coincidence there. Um, and they're much better for making jack-o'-lanterns than a turnip. And uh, furthermore, um, they because it's the eve of all saints, obviously it's about praying for your dead. So the, uh, the idea of like the dead being on your mind... It kind of makes sense, okay? Um, then you combine that with the fact that people like to dress up. People always like to dress up for certain reasons. And then um, there used to be a tradition, and there still is in some places, where you would actually uh, ask people to pray for your dead as you went house to house. And they'd say, here, it's something, there's something called souling, which is a, as a tradition where they might give you a cookie or something. It was called a soul cake. And it's like, I'll give you this, but you have to promise to pray for my dead. Um, so it's just an outgrowth. And then even today in lots of cemeteries in Europe, they'll light them up with candles um, on All Hallows Eve. Like the place is completely lit. And that's one of the things with the jack-o'-lanterns and the idea of lighting a candle is you go by and you pray for someone's dead or you remember the dead. So it is a very Catholic holiday, but of course it has been co-opted commercially and so forth. So you just try to avoid the bad elements, just like Christmas and Easter. I mean, Easter is not about the Easter bunny, obviously, but it's a real holiday, right? So as far as a family, we went out and we got some candy. Um, now, some people differ on this, so people don't get mad at me if you're in the comments. Um, trick or treat, officially, technically, does mean like, I'll give me candy or I'll do something to prank your house. So if you actually mean that, then that's bad. Little kids have no idea what it means. I didn't have anything idea what it means. My parents didn't even know what it means. They said to me, well, you're supposed to do a trick or something like that to get candy. <laughs> Like, you know, tell a joke or something. That's what I thought it was. So our kids, they go, they run to go up to the door and say, happy Halloween, whatever. And then um, get some candy. It was actually nice. It was the only sort of old normal thing that we've been able to do since March. Most people were, some people were weird, like gloves and trying to put the candy through like a tube. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but most people were just wearing masks and it's Halloween, so you wear masks anyway. Anyway, and then All Saints Day, we went to an All Saints party. Um, and uh, all the kids dressed up, dressed up as saints with some friends and stuff. That's what we did. What about you guys? Oh, that's great. So y'all have a y'all have an outset all saints party, like with church people. With yeah, with church friends. people thing. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Okay. So usually we have uh, we have an all saints party at the church, which is okay. basically like a trick or treat alternative, which is where they have a big dinner with all the kids dressed up as saints, and then they have a ton of games with candy. And uh, 
yeah, so we typically have that, but we did not do it because of all the restrictions this year. And then we got sick. Uh, one of the my one of the people at our school who's been in contact with my daughter got COVID nineteen apparently. So now we have to quarantine. Oh, we also have some vulnerability in our our health in our family as well. So we want to quarantine anyway. So um, we and then we did actually get sick. So we're all sick. Okay. So then we decided just not to trick or treat all, all together. Right. And so my son, my two, my four year old and two year old son were both St. George. And then I was the dragon and I had a pot of candy as my treasure. And then they fought me. And every time they okay. hit me with their sword, they got some candy. So we, we played a little game with that. We watched a St. George cartoon. As long as the kids got candy, they didn't know the difference. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so yeah, absolutely. So, I love I love this time of year because November it's the it begins with All Saints and the dead, church triumphant, church suffering. We pray for the church suffering. This is the the month of purgatory. Yep. And then we go straight into the four last things. And then we have Christmas. It's a great time of year. It's an exciting time. We also have uh we've got Thanksgiving. Of course, y'all have yep. Thanksgiving in October. We, yeah, so we finished that already. Yeah, kind of a, but it's the it's the fall Thanksgiving uh, time of year, um, so it's really great. I I wanted to, can you, Kennedy, can you share it all about Vigano, Trump, Fatima? Um, <laughs> what are we facing right now? And and we can, and then we're going to talk about how does this have to do with the saints and the triumph of our fathers over death? So. What, what connections do you see with with uh, Fatima, Vigano, and Trump? Well, uh, one, uh, well, uh, the errors of Russia are. Some, I see the world. I see the world through the lens of the errors of Russia. You know, being a Fatima guy, so I look around and I see materialism. I see Marxism. I see Freemasonry. I see all those things. I mean, it's just obvious. Open your eyes, look around, and you'll see it. The errors. Uh, you know, I was actually. <clears throat> this is sort of my own personal theory here, so you have to believe it. Um, uh, this all this talk of the Great Reset. So I don't know if anyone's listened to the most recent Father Ripperger series on how socialism and uh, or communism and the devils are the same thing. I mean, he yeah, everyone must go. It's watch. really good. It's really good. <laughs> you have to go watch the Father Ripperger. Subscribe to his channel. Yeah. Shout out to Father Ripperger. Please watch all those absolutely yeah. essential and they're only about four minutes long each yeah they're really short little I put them on time and a half like that's like two minutes 20 seconds or whatever i mean you can listen to 10 of them while you're making breakfast so go. they're great and it, it confirmed a lot of the stuff that i had already thought about in my you know but he, he put it in really obviously succinct terms really exact terms and basically it's uh, you know the errors of russia communism socialism whatever, all revolution uh, that goes away from the church, it's all from the devil, okay? And the devil's a liar. So everything he says is the opposite. The only time the devil tells you the truth is basically, um, uh, well, he tells you the truth about yourself in a way to sort of condemn you, but or, or he'll tell you the truth if he's under obedience to an exorcist. Otherwise, the devil always lies. Up is down, down is up, black is white, good is evil, you know, that sort of thing. So all this talk right now, the Great Reset, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I mean, I might be wrong, but I thought this is diabolical. This isn't a reset; it's a collapse. Um, but the but the devil tries to package things, right? So it made me think. You know what? We've been living in a communist society, in a Marxist society. What you were saying from Father John Harden, you know, the America and well, the West in general is the most are the most successful communist nations, and it's true. And what I mean by that? Well, okay, take out the money part. Everyone thinks, oh, communism is about money. No, it's not about money. It's ultimately about control and getting you to hell because it's from the devil. So what do they want you to do? They want you to sin. They want you to conform. They don't, want, they don't want you to think for yourself. They want you to become cogs of a state, worship the state, and so on and so forth. We do that in North America. I mean, religiosity here in North America is the same as it was in Soviet Russia. What do I mean by that? You could go to the church in Russia, but only about 10, 15 people went. 10, 10 15% of people went. Same here. You know, um, Marriage was destroyed in Russia. Abortion was legal in Russia. Uh, sins of the flesh were promoted in Russia. Feminism. All the things, just everything. I mean, everything except for the financial stipulations are the same. And even then, it's kind of relative because it's all about quality of life. 
We still have haves and haves not, have nots in communism. Okay. So I remember thinking about that and then looking at this election. I don't want to talk about Trump in messianic terms. I don't mean to sound like that, but I also look at things through the lens of history and I'm thinking, okay, there have been various temporal rulers that were total degenerates in their personal life in some ways, or at times might have been, but they were used because their office was important. And any authority that a temporal ruler has ultimately is from God. That's where it's from. So this is why St. Paul says the emperor is the diakonos. He's the minister who executes the death penalty. The emperor is a bad man at the time of St. Paul. Nonetheless, his office is valid because he has authority and all authorities from God. So Trump is the same, for better or for worse. Um, and then Vigano has uh, vindicated the position of the third secret of Fatima not being revealed, which is important because the consecration itself hasn't been uh, properly done. And the emails, the famous emails from that laptop from hell. Um, and I know that, listen, there's, there's bigger, there's, there are more evil men in this world than the Biden family. There are, like, objectively. But the thing that's interesting about this is it's always so hard to impute actual guilt on the leaders. You know, it's always Epstein or it's always, you know what I mean? It's somebody else who they put it all on. What I find interesting and kind of encouraging in a weird sense is that this stuff is linked directly to the actual Biden family and Biden himself, which is, okay, hey, it's kind of like a veil's been pulled back. We don't have to pretend anymore, you know? Um, even a lot of leftists now are going, oh, I can't stand the Bidens. They're so revolting. I can't believe he did that. You know, I've heard that from people who you would never think. And the date of those emails is what? Do you know? Isn't it uh, May 13? 2017. Oh, 2017. There it is. And I just thought, you know what? I mean, once again, hey, I could be wrong. Let's connect these dots. Just, just for viewers' sake, can you connect? Yeah. Why is that significant? That's 100 years to the day of the first apparition of Our Lady of Fatima. Um, May 13th, 1917, which is also the advent of the same year as Russian communism. Um, it's also the same year St. Maximilian Kolbe started the uh, Immaculata, uh, Militia Immaculata to convert the Freemasons. And it's the uh, and it's 100 years to the day of the revelations. Or the, yeah, basically the revelations in a sense, the pulling back of the veil of the evil of the uh, deep state. Anyway. And what, what was the, what did Our Lady say about 100 years? Did she say something about a hundred years? I thought there was something about it, or maybe that was just well. No, one of the one of the major interpretations is that we have about a hundred years because that was the same with consecrating France to the Sacred Heart, which never happened, and then the king tried to do it in jail. Ah, uh, yes, fourteenth to Leo the sixteenth, um, yes. exactly. But that's technically twenty twenty nine as far as the consecration goes, because the specifics for the consecration were given in nineteen twenty nine. Correct. Right. So right, we have right. Nine years. We've nine years, or we're screwed. Um, but uh, another another. Quick, quick point there is that the 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 McCarrick revelations actually began to be revealed in 2017 to the yes. media because that was when the the diocese was working out mm -hmm. the investigation. So Absolutely. some some media knew about it and the diocese knew about it and they were working out an investigation. It finally went totally public the next no, year, yeah. but it was still in 2017. <laughs> yeah, and then so here's the thing: um, everyone leading up to 2017 was. Um, it was a Fatima year, you know, it was like, this is the year guys, you know, I mean, um, I wasn't like a Fatimist then. Um, I was, uh, just discovering tradition to be honest, but, um, talking to people after they were like, yeah, we were praying these 54 day novenas and we're like, our lady's going to do something 2017, you know? And like, and then the year kind of ended and people kind of went, Oh, I mean, really, they, they kind of thought, well, okay, we know our lady here at us. We're not test. We're not going to test God or whatever. <laughs> like we get it. But at the same time, this is a bummer. That was kind of the idea. Well, heaven sees things from its own perspective. And May 13, 2017 is the day where the veil starts to be pulled back on the most evil, corrupt men who represent the, they represent the whole thing. They rep, you know, this is, we're talking about candidate, President of the United States, corrupt, China, Russia, Ukraine, sorry, not Russia, China, Ukraine, uh, Biden family, all linked. It's just a mess. It's a total mess. Pedophilia, uh, you know, all that stuff is linked in there. I mean, it's all the major sins right now that are plaguing the church, which are being revealed through the most evil men in the world. Okay. So I just looked at it and I thought, okay, Vigano has been um, a voice kind of crying out in the wilderness behind this all. He himself had a conversion to, well, kind of being a traditionalist, but he also had a conversion to the position of seeing Fatima not uh, revealed. And he's put his support behind Donald Trump for better, or for worse. And I thought, you know, sometimes there's leaders, like I said, Constantine was one of those. Uh, 
we over mythologized Constantine. He was, I mean, he's a saint in the Eastern traditions, but like he was still a pagan and was not baptized till he almost died. And throughout his life, even after his interior sort of ascent to a Christian acceptance, um, he still oversaw pagan rites. He had multiple marriages. We can imagine what he might have done as the emperor of a decadent Roman Empire. I mean, his sins are his own, whatever. Uh, but he was, I mean, he might have been less uh, Christian in his virtue than Donald Trump. Who knows, right? I'm just saying there's a parallel there insofar as he was the leader of the world's most influential nation. America is arguably that. He did something to liberate the church and give her more freedom to breathe. That's all the church needs. We don't need the state to do something for us necessarily, but we need to be not stopped from doing things. <laughs> you know, we need to have permission or not permission or room to move. So I look at Trump and Vigano has said in his letters, um, you know, he stands in the way. He's not the Messiah, but he stands in the way of something. And that might be true. So, and then I looked at the campaign and there's just been, uh, Mary has been all over it, Our Lady. You know, the Ave Maria, the RNC, the rallies are still ending in some places with the Ave Maria, which is strange because Trump's a Presbyterian. And um, also, Our Lady of Fatima is in the White House. When he had the uh, White House exercise, the priest brought a statue and Trump, asked to keep it so you can actually um look a picture up it was on the remnant and other places trump standing there holding a little statue of our lady fatima and a rosary with a catholic priest when did his wife move in she moved in one month later after may 13th 2017 because she wasn't going to move in with her son until it was exercised so i don't know maybe it's tin hat maybe i'm just out to lunch here but god's in charge of history it is his story after all and um all the fatima vigano trump things seem interesting to me so that was my little theory. Yeah, absolutely. So what is, without going to any gory details, what is the Biden family's connection with the heirs of Russia in terms of China <clears throat> and everything that you just said? Can sure. You a little bit more detail on that? Well, once again, the Biden family is, they're almost like useful idiots, to be honest. Um, and I mean that with all my heart, they are idiots. But um, <clears throat> the heirs of Russia are basically the heirs of What's well, the same errors? The devil has like five tricks. He just keeps replaying them over and over again. The errors of Russia are the errors of Freemasonry, globalism, Zionism, all the isms, um, in the sense that we try to make a messianic kingdom on earth with earthly things. That's one of the ways, that's one of the things communism does. Okay. Marx himself was a useful idiot. Marx was, Marx wrote about the Freemasons scathingly. Oh, the Freemasons, the wealthy, you know, they're rich, we're poor, that sort of thing. Friedrich Engels was a Mason and he was his, his financial background. Like, give me a break. Marx himself was a useful idiot. Um, you know, the Bolsheviks were a Freemasonic society, at least affiliated, you know, and, and in, their, in their background. Um, communism itself came into Russia by the Freemasons. How did that happen? Uh, the French academics went throughout Russia during the Russian uh, uh, Industrial Revolution. And um, they brought with them their ideals of the Enlightenment. What's another name for Enlightenment? It's called the Illumination. In other languages, people that are enlightened are called Illuminati. There you go. It's a real thing. Obviously, you can make it cartoonish, but it's a real thing. It just means enlightened ones. So anyway, the errors of Russia are those errors. Now, how do you corrupt men to worship themselves and to worship the state and man rather than worshiping God? Well, you have to corrupt their morals. That's the way you do it. And um, I believe it was ugh, it was uh, what was a Soviet tactic where they would they would not argue theological things with uh, seminarians because they couldn't convince them because they knew that the seminarians were smart and had good reason. So they would just corrupt their morals with women and other sins of the flesh. Because if you get a man to sin against the flesh, he sins against God and he stops believing in him. That's the, that's our society to a T. So the heirs of Russia are those things. Now the Biden family. Well, what you see is you literally see incestuous predation. You see, um, drug abuse, you see um, uh, secretive Freemasonic dealings with things, you see uh, manipulating the people. I mean, you just see all of the, it's like, it's like the, it's like a concentrate. <laughs> it's a distillation of all of the disgusting things that plague our society, which are all the errors of Russia, ultimately. And um, the veil is sort of, and also see the link with Catholicism. You see the infiltration into the church. I mean, Biden calls himself a Catholic. The Bidens are so Catholic, aren't they? And they're just, they represent the vile uh, anti-church, anti-Catholicism that is rampant in the globalist elites right now. So 
That's and also they're linked to China. And right now, China is Russia, basically, as far as their influence. And there you go. That's what I think. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I like what you're saying about the errors of Russia being essentially pervasive in our own society as well as the communists i mean we're the, yeah. the thing that people need to understand is that the the western bankers were bankrolling the soviet communists from america in the same way that the americans are bankrolling the chinese communists right now with all their business dealings yeah all the money is flowing all the all the elites they're all buddies they don't they don't they don't think about these national boundaries like we do we think that uh, people actually believe that America is the good world police against Chinese communism, but we're also working with them. Like you just said, the the corruption of morals, and that goes back to Wilhelm Reich, yes, the Jew psychologist who coined the term sexual revolution, and he was actually targeting, like you said, also with the Soviets, targeting the seminarians yep. to try to get them to commit self-abuse so that they could stop praying. Mm-hmm. And even goes back to the French Revolution, Marquis de Sade inventing por- pornography as the yeah. means of political control, destruction mm-hmm. of the morals in order to make the state take over the family to educate with public education. The, these these eras of Russia are just flowing freely from the so-called capitalist to the so-called communist. Like you said, um, they're flowing freely. So, yep. When we when we face these things, um, we want to consider the triumph of our fathers. And the reason that I I find great solace in considering our fathers, we think about the corruption in society, the corruption in the church. Every 250 years or so, the church faces an unprecedented crisis in society and the church. The church mm-hmm. is about to die. Everybody thinks it's the end of the world. People are thinking that the apocalypse, it's about to happen. And it may happen, it may not happen. All the other crises that happened before us, obviously the end of the world didn't happen. Is the world ending now? Maybe, maybe not. But we've our fathers have faced this before. Our fathers mm-hmm. have faced down armies, faced down plagues where there was actual bodies in the, in the streets. Yeah, real plagues. Yeah. Um, multiple popes, um, worldwide uh revolution uh the i mean think about the protestant revolt when you had mobs breaking into i mean we have we have problems with mobs right now but the protestant revolt you had mobs going into churches and just destroying everything in the church yeah breaking down statues of our lady um digging up the relics of martyrs and destroying burning relics i mean this is insane we're, we're yep. in a situation, so don't be shocked by the situation we're in. Don't be scandalized. Think about our fathers. Mo- most of the church is in heaven. Most of the church is either saved or being saved. Most yep. of the church is, is in heaven, in glory, or in purgatory, being purified, preparing themselves for, for glory. Yep. So when we meditate on our fathers and their triumph, we can face the situation that we're in right now, which may seem unprecedented and it is, and it may seem insurmountable and it is, except for the fact that God is in control because humanly speaking, it's impossible for us to overcome completely impossible, humanly speaking. But that's the point. That's the point. That's like what you said about uh, Trump being a, a imperfect, imperfect man. God always triumphs through, an impossibility. What is impossible for man is possible for God. That's how God likes to work. Yep. And, and with, with regards to Trump, like, listen, I uh, I'm a skeptical. I don't know. I don't want to say pessimistic, but I hate the government. Like pretty much everybody involved <laughs> at all levels. Um, I've worked for bureaucracies for too long, and I've realized that um, they're almost set up in a way to get in the way of good things. It's almost like they're it's almost like they're objective. Um, so it could be, I mean, a lot of traditionalists, some of my buddies, <laughs> they, uh, they'll look, that's eh, a little all too, too convenient stuff. That might be the case. I don't know. But what I'm saying is 
every generation, I think back to Jonah of, uh, in Nineveh, right? I mean, every generation, well, not most generations at some point somewhere on earth come up to a calamity where um, things are at a breaking point and the things could end, things could be destroyed and your city could be destroyed or whatever. Um, and they're all conditional on repentance and sacrifice. That's always what it is. So whatever Donald Trump is, whatever the movement is, it's not about him. It's about the fact that people, people are motivated to pray. I mean, say what you will about perhaps maybe it's a little bit of a show, whatever. But the reality is, is that people are praying rosaries like crazy for the president. You know, that includes for his conversion. Okay. Listen, I have Justin Trudeau as a leader. He's a baptized Catholic who's confirmed. I would really like him to become a good leader. I would really like him to convert, go to confession and be a good prime minister, be a moral man. I'm not going to hold it against him. It is what it is, right? Like just be better than you are. So, you know, he has the office for better, or for worse. The idiot in my country has the office. And if he could do a better job because we prayed for him, great. So we're in that position right now in all places. And it is bad. This is one of the a uniquely bad time. Maybe not the worst ever. Maybe it is. But it's a bad time for faith and morals in the church, especially personified by Pope Francis. So, so our fathers have been through things like this before. And Battle of Ponto's big one. Against all odds, they should have lost. And they prayed. They prayed the rosary like crazy. And they had a miraculous victory. So that's kind of the situation we're in. It reminds me of uh, the story of Gideon where... Yeah. Our Lord, uh, in the book of Judges, uh, God calls many judges. I mean, it's kind of the same cycle of church history. Uh, the cycle of judges is when the, the people do evil in the eyes of the Lord. They turn to pagan gods, so God delivers them over to bondage to the Canaanites yeah. and whatnot. And then they repent, so God sends them a judge to deliver them. And one of these judges is Gideon, and Gideon comes, to, comes and, and brings a bunch of men and uh god says i want to take away a bunch of your army so that you only have a few men to go up against thousands and that's yeah. when he can give the deliverance so we this is something that dr peter kwashnevsky said on this show and he said we need to look at this time as we need to think of ourselves as privileged to live in a time like this because this is the time of the saints when when we look back at the at the heroes of old when we think about All Saints Day and we think about Lepanto, we think about Siege of Vienna, we think about uh, Charles Martel or all these great battles or these great triumphs yeah. of faith. We think about think about the things that St. Paul said mm -hmm. at a time when Christianity was a couple of people against yeah. the Roman Empire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A great book to read is uh, Revelation, the Apocalypse. Because that's also written at a time when the church is just a couple of people against the Roman Empire, the, the, the most powerful empire in the world. And God gives all these visions of the dragons and, you know, God coming and destroying the enemy on our behalf and coming against the enemy. Because this is the way that God always works. So we, we need to really look at this time as we are privileged to really live in this time to be a part of this. And that's why we, when we meditate on all saints day, we yeah. meditate on the triumph of our fathers over death. Yep. And think about, I mean, you mentioned Charles Mart Martel, um, Martel and was Charlemagne his grandson? Um, I think yeah, I believe so. Um, and Charles Martel was not a pious Catholic either. No, I, but neither was Charlemagne. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, you know, hopefully, you know, they're in heaven and all that. But the point is, is like, they did some bad stuff. I mean, they, the thing about, a, about, the society we're in, we're in a post-Christian society, basically. So what are we in? We're in a pagan society, you know, functionally. Whether people are baptized or not, we're in a functionally pagan society. Um, pagan morality is always consequentialist. It's always uh, ends justify the means. Do evil to get good. Sacrifice human beings to appease the sun, that sort of thing. And, um, and Trump's done some of that, for sure. But this has happened before. So we're in a position where we're just called to pray. And, you know, here in Canada, I believe you have a similar holiday. We have November 11th, uh, Remembrance Day. What do you guys call it? Armistice. Yeah. Armistice. Oh, I, well, we call it Veterans Day because oh, everything okay. is about America. Right. New yeah. Flash. So we call it uh, Remembrance Day. And But yeah. it's funny because I saw this um, ad yesterday from Canada, right? Like the Canada 
not prop, I guess propaganda branch, <laughs> whatever the federal government puts out ads on, on YouTube and things. And it had some pictures of some old soldiers and things. And, um, it said, remember they fought for our freedoms or something. And I'm sitting there, what freedom? Like, what's that? this is a troll. I mean, you must be joking me, right? Um, but, uh, anyway, so yeah, we're in that, we're in that situation. And all those people in the cemeteries right now, you can go take a walk through a cemetery. We have one, a nice one here in town. Um, it's old. And uh, there's a Catholic part of it, right? Because it's a city one, but it's got a huge Catholic part. And you walk through that part. And you look at some of the dates, you know, and um, so-and-so was 15 years old when he died. Or so-and-so was 20 years old when he died and has a little military emblem on, on his, on his uh, tombstone. And um, those people really fought. And they died. And they lived through actual calamities. Great Depression. Um you know, uh, revolutions in their nations going over to war and many of them kept the faith. So there's nothing different for us. Yeah. Here's a, just a reminder, visit a cemetery this, this month. And we're going to talk about this more on a further show, but there is a plenary indulgence applicable to the souls in purgatory to the faithful who on any and each day from November one to eight, devoutly visit a cemetery and pray if only mentally for the departed. So we're still yeah. in that time frame. So yeah. go to a cemetery. Yeah. And there's also on all souls day, but we passed that already. But the um, <clears throat> very important thing is to meditate on death. Mm -hmm. Think about yeah. your death. You're going to die. Whether the end of world happens now or later, yeah. when you die, it happens immediately because you die, yeah. you have your particular judgment and then you're straight at the end of the world. So, yeah. Whenever you die, that's going to be the end of the world for you and for yeah. everybody else because you'll go straight there. So thinking about your death is so important because it is a great help to your spiritual life. You're starting to get angry. You're starting to get angry at Pope Francis. You're starting yeah. to get mm -hmm. despairing over the state of the world. You're starting to get discouraged. Think about the fact that you're going to die. Mm -hmm. You're going to die and you're going to face your particular judgment. Yep. And that's when we talk about the virtue of hope. And I want to remind everybody, there's a great resource that we have from Father Chad Ripperker. So if you go over to the website up here on resources, this is a list of resources and authoritative sources. And if you scroll down here to miscellaneous, there's a list and definition of all virtues by Thomistic philosopher, Father Ripperker. Mm. So we've got all the virtues. This is great, a wonderful list. Print this out, put it on your refrigerator. I've used that many times. That it's, it's so great. Um, <clears throat> so here, here is the virtue of hope. So the virtue of hope is the virtue by which one awaits beatitude and has confidence in God's aid. Yep. This is, a, this is a great virtue to talk about what we're talking about. This is when I think of our father's triumph over death, this is what I, I have when I think about that is I have great hope because God has delivered us so many times before this in the great historical triumphs that we know about. And also All Saints Day is so much about all the anonymous saints that have never been canonized and never will be, and all the thousands and thousands of other souls who have triumphed with God in their souls. God mm -hmm. has triumphed in their souls. So confidence in God's aid. So yeah. I think... The, the balance we need to strike here is we need to have w the idea of what is impossible for man is possible for God. So we, when we think about our own ability, we need to realize in humility <clears throat> that we can do nothing. Yep. We can do nothing without God. Yeah, and well, with you know, God, we can do all things. Well, and it's interesting. Um, people are really freaked out right now, you know, um, about the Great Reset and all that. And some people, in my opinion, go a little bit too far off the deep end. I might be wrong, um, but they're talking. Oh, I'm going to be in a concentration camp in a year and a half, or <laughs> say things like that. That might be true, but I personally, this is why I personally doubt that in Canada, at least. I just think that it's not necessary because it can already control everybody just by doing stuff with their cell phones. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, you know, yeah, I just, I, I think it's also to um, everyone out there, don't give the devil more than he's due. Okay. Um, 
the leftists are incompetence. Um, there's no enterprise, the, the old globalists who are sort of controlling the Antifa people and all that kind of stuff. Those people might know what they're doing, but if you want to know what leftists are capable of, as far as like social movements, just look at all the marches and riots. That's what they're capable of. Um, the same people that support this globalist Marxist anti-life agenda, you know these people, okay? They're heavily medicated. They're heavily addicted to pornography. They have terrible personal lives and relationships. They don't have God. You can't get a person like that to do many much useful things when they have to face conflict. So remember that when you're thinking about this isn't 1930s Germany or 1920s Russia where you take a very formally virtuous and um, um, enterprising and conscientious people and you transmit those habits into something evil. We don't have we don't have a population base like that. It's kind of the double edged sword. We're much easier to control because we have because we're all weak. But because we're weak, we can't do the things that the people might think they want us to do anyway. But I was thinking about oh man, what if stuff hits the fan? What if you gotta skip out in the middle of the night and drive across the border or whatever? I mean, think of you know fleeing persecution or whatever. And you think about your kids, right? You really do. I mean, that's the whole thing. I can handle a lot, but when it comes to my kids, that's what makes you. That's what makes you sick to your stomach is thinking about harm happening to your kids. And I had to tell myself, I had said to say, you know, your children have guardian angels. People have been through terrible calamities before and great saints have come from families where they were orphaned, um, uh, had, had gone through trauma. We've been so psychologized in our modern culture that we look at every sort of something that happens to a kid as a fatalist event that will change their psychology forever sanctifying grace perfects nature and our guardian angels are very real so i have found at this time for the protection of my children even just with the the masks and stuff which i think is could be abusive to children if they are exposed to it in a germophobic sense i think it could really harm their, their minds but nonetheless i'm like my kids have guardian angels grace perfects nature i have to trust that my kids will be fine through this exposure to this weirdness and uh, all I can do is pray. So I've been really praying with my guardian angel for the first time in my life. Like for really, I mean, I've said the guardian angel prayer a lot of times, but there'll be times in the day where I'll be, I'll just be thinking to myself, like, I need you right now, guardian angel. And also uh, for my children. So that's, you know, one of the benefits of going through one of these more difficult times is that it does give us motivation to repent and to pray harder. That's, that's a great point. As men, we, our duty is to be the rock. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me we need to be the rock emotionally spiritually physically intellectually mm -hmm. we need to be the rock of our family we need to yeah. be in charge and being able to be stable be a stability for your wives and your children and that comes from first of all an internal proper balance this is this is um this is a great example when we talk about the virtue of hope, because it's basically thinking about when you think about yourself, you do despair because you're you self, you can do nothing. But when you think about God, you're filled with hope because God can do all things. So yeah. then you have these two vices. So every virtue is the mean between two extremes. So when we think about ourselves and we think about God, there are two different extremes that we can fall into. Right. One is desperation, despair, the sin of despair. Despair is a sin, which is a lack of confidence in God's ability to save someone or aid him. Yeah. So it's despairing that God can be God. Yeah. It's just thinking about yourself. Well, when you think, when I think about myself, I do despair. Yeah, that's right. Which, which is, that is, that part is correct. You should despair of your own, pro, your own self, what you can possibly do, because you can't do anything. But when you think about God, you need to have the hope in his confidence with the virtue of hope. But then you have the sin of presumption on the other side. Right. You've got an excessive confidence in one's own abilities and beyond your own abilities to just achieve cement. So that's when you have, when we talk about Bishop Barron and dare we hope that all should be saved. That's the sin of presumption. Yep. So we, th we think that. God will just save everyone and force everyone to go to heaven against their will. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's a, that's the sin of presumption. They're both equally because they both cause complacency. Um, I think one of the great sins of our time is sloth. Um, 
because yeah, or or what's the other word? Uh, not acidia. That's right, acidia. Um, I was going to say pertinacity. That's different. That's the, kind of the opposite of sloth. Um, so um, you know, all of these pleasures and stuff, they actually cause us to do nothing. Um, you know, it's interesting. There's a phenomenon amongst young kids that they need to get their eyes fixed um, and do exercises because, you know, listen, I got one of these phones and they're great and you do a lot of good stuff with them. But when you're reading a book, you look and you move your eyes. When you're looking at a phone, you actually move the text to where your eyes are sitting still. Interesting. So, yeah. so kids are actually having problems with their eyes um, because their eyes have uh, muscle atrophy because they're just looking in the same direction all the time without moving. And they don't look up and look far away. That's a big thing too. If you work on it, this is a side note, but if you work on a computer all day, you should uh, even just like every once in a while, look away from your computer and just look across your house or look across your office. And, or you should walk outside and like talk on the phone and just kind of look down the street while you're talking because um, it's not natural to always be looking at something. And you can do this with books too, but it's just, it's hyper, hyper extended with uh, this. Anyway, so, um, Slothfulness is a huge thing, but slothfulness comes from despair. When people get depressed, they get late. I don't want lazy, and I don't mean that in a, in a pejorative sense, but they get slothful. And um, one of the things that good psychologists will do is they'll just get you to do something useful because once you start doing something useful where there's a goal built into it, you actually stop thinking about yourself and you become. And that's one of the shameless plug. That's one of the themes in Family Be Damned. It's, uh, part of the conversion is um, hard work. And the father going through something where he actually forgot about himself, uh, and he was happy for the first time in a long time, and that's that's uh, that's a remedy for despair actually, and for slothfulness. Yeah, <clears throat> that's that's very it's a great uh, segue to talk about practical things to increase as men of God increase the virtue of hope so that you can be the rock for your yeah. wife and children because it's not easy to just be the rock if you've never been here before it takes time to build that up so i i love what you're saying about doing useful work doing uh because men can get into despair because we want we are so hardwired to do something and especially when we're i i always i always have this feeling when my wife goes into labor <laughs> i have this feeling like i can't do anything i can't yeah. do anything to help my wife you know it's like a, i just gotta let it go and let god take care, take care of my wife and my baby, you know? Right. And, uh, we always want to be doing something. So we don't want to have presumption that we're, we can, we can do everything and we don't want to have despair that we can do nothing without God. Um, <clears throat> we can do, we can do all things with God. We can do nothing without God. Right. So placing our confidence in God, this is, um, Dom Scupoli in spiritual combat. He says this foundational of the spiritual life is confident basically he says trust in god and distrust of self mm -hmm. trust in god distrust of self so going forth trusting in god doing useful work yeah and this is something that is difficult in, in in the western world if you if you're out of a job if you've been struck by lockdown unemployment or whatever you may be struggling with despair or the temptation to despair or to get discouraged if you're trying to find work, this is something you just need to keep plugging away. Now, I think one of the most important things for a man struggling to be the rock, struggling to overcome despair, and this is also all about effeminacy. We haven't mentioned that, but we always talk about that. But uh, I think, tell me what you think, Kennedy. I think one of the most important things is man support, which is where you have another man who's your friend and you talk with him about your struggles. And this is something that's very useful to talk with other men about, mm -hmm. to open up to a, a good man. Mm -hmm. Something that people experience with Exodus 90. If you do Exodus 90, there's mm -hmm. a brotherhood that's a part of the program. Mm -hmm. um, so you either, so you, you may have a group, you may have a single other man, but I think it is very transformational to have that man support because men have a way of strengthening one another and challenging one another. Now, it's a little bit different with your woman, with your spouse. You know, when you open up to your spouse, she wants to comfort you and yeah. has has the feminine her feminine gifts of yeah. comfort and she and she may inspire you to do great things, but it's a, it's just sl a slightly different support. And you need to have the man support in addition to 
being able to give to your wife and your wife give to you. But I think the man support is so crucial because Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens one another. And that's absolutely true in man support. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know what's funny, eh? Uh, well, okay. Let's just back up here because some people hear this kind of stuff. And trust me, when you put a book out about masculinity, you realize how much people hate men. Um, and um, people think, oh, man, you know, you just want a boys club. Well, kind of, yeah, because you also <laughs> want a girls club. Like, let's be honest. That's fun. Okay. I mean, this is the thing that's so strange and annoying about our society is that, um, you know, what do you think of a classic uh, movie or story about a bunch of girls? It's like they have the girls night and their wine night and whatever. And it's like, that's fine. Go for it. Have a blast. I hope you do. I have you. I hope you have more friends. I hope you have great friends. I hope you, you know, there's four types of love. Okay. One of them is philia, which means the love of great friendship, essentially. It's Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love. And the way that it's been described, you know, read the classical philosophers. It's like, it's like uh, Eros is the love of uh, romance standing, looking at each other. Okay. This is why the marriage, you stare each other in the face, right? Because it's a gift of self to each other. Okay. Whereas philia is actually the love of a purpose. So this is um, this is why no matter how leftist you might be, you love watching a military movie. Don't pretend you don't. Okay. You love watching some guys go to war and become best buddies and he holds his buddy while he's dying. Everybody loves that. Hollywood knows that. Hollywood is the leftist satanic, you know, garbage dump, but they still pull out these conservative military movies because they sell. And um, so when you stand shoulder to shoulder with somebody with a goal, you have a great bond with that person. And it's almost not possible to achieve that goal without having or achieve that friendship and that certain type of love, which it is a type of love, okay, um, without being able to have the goal to accomplish. So we've lost that though. So here's the thing. I've done the Exodus 90 twice and it's great. But one thing I noticed about men today, um, we have an artificial view about how to have masculine companionship because we don't know how to do that because it's not encouraged and it's suppressed in a lot of cases. So I did the Exodus 90 twice. One of the times I did it, and this is not a slight to any of the people I did it with. Okay. One of the times I did it was with a really close buddy and a priest friend. There was just three of us. And it was in my opinion better. Um, just because it was more intimate and my buddy and I are, we're already really good friends and we think the same. And we didn't really like, we didn't share too much about like the think pair share kind of feeling stuff, which there's a place for that, I guess, but that's more something you do with your wife. It was more about telling you my struggles and my buddies giving me advice to just man up. And I loved it. It was amazing. And it, and it was great. Other time I did it, it was a little bit more vulnerability and stuff it was a bigger group. There was more of an emphasis on like sharing your whatever. And, and that's fine. But to be honest, I find that there's a dangerous game that men play with that because it's an it's once the emotions get in the way, it's really hard. It's really easy to justify or to excuse a lot of um, laziness or complacency. So men need support. Um, and people ask me all the time, being, being a guy who wrote a book on masculinity, they say, what should we do for men's groups? To be honest, in the way that we conceive men's groups in the sort of conservative Catholic parish world, I don't think they're actually very helpful. And the reason I'm saying that is this, go to your average parish that has a men's group. Okay. You might have an initial bump of 30 men from the parish come and that's great. Okay. But how is your parish now a place where everybody is pious, where all the men are pious, where they're all whatever. I mean, like what I mean is what really are the results of it? Okay. Now I do think men's groups in theory could be a good thing. But I think we're doing them all wrong. I think what we should be doing for men's groups is we don't need to be doing a catechism class. Okay. Lay people catechizing can be a disaster if they're not qualified. Some people are, but it can be a disaster. It doesn't have to be a program. You know, we're going to go through this 15 episode series on how to be a man. Nope. Don't need to do that. Personally, I think if you're going to do a men's group, you should just get together with your men and just get together. Like that might sound crazy, but just that's all you do. You just get together, maybe have a priest present, and you just talk about your life and you do something. You play a sport. You go, uh, you, you know, you 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 sit around a fire and have a cigar. Like, but that's literally it. And the reason is is because um, 
you need to build an authentic friendship where you actually depend on the person. And if I'm sitting there watching a video and going through these artificial exercises about how to be a man or something like that, and I'm the guy who wrote the book on masculinity, so I'm not saying that there's not a place for that, but I'm saying as a way of growing and, and fraternal friendship, I actually don't think it's very useful because why would we, like, how do you make friends in life? Like, how'd you make your best friend as a kid, right? You didn't like go to a workshop about how to make friends and then do exercises with people and then made friends. You just played soccer at recess or whatever you did, right? And then you became best buddies because you made a fort together. And the same thing has to happen for grown men. So for men's groups out there, people just get together. Just make, make, a, make a appointment once a month. Most guys can do once a month. I go to about 11 a year because I usually there's one month where it's like, I just can't do it that night. Something's up with the kids, whatever. Make an appointment once a month. We get together. We sit around. We smoke cigars, have a whiskey or whatever. Depends if you're driving or not. And uh, we just talk. The faith comes up, sure. But a lot of time it's like about your business, about whatever. And then you just become friends normally. And then you just pray. the, And then I recommend praying the rosary and that's it. And just as I'll stop babbling on here, but that's actually a good way to bring in non-serious Catholic men. Because I'll tell you what, the last thing somebody who is kind of on the fence about Catholicism wants to do is come to a think, pair, share event where it's going to be all about, uh, you know, biblical exegesis. But if you do say, hey, we're going to have uh, whiskey and a cigar, sit around a campfire, and, uh, you know, we might pray rosary, whatever, we'll see. Men show up to that. And then you let our lady do the converting, not you, because you're not the Holy Ghost. So that's um, that's my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I like what you're saying. I, I think that there is a uh, an artificialness to a lot of the constructions of men's groups. Yeah. I per my temperament is is much um, more melancholic, so I don't really like sort of the social gathering nature of it. So I'm kind of like I, I got one buddy and me and him yeah. will talk shop and we'll pray. And that's 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 as far as I, that's why I don't like Exodus 90 because it's just too many people. It's just like I just like kind of a one on one thing. Yeah. But um, I, I think that. Um, I think what you're saying is great. I, when I think about the the men that I know who are my friends in the parish community, I've met them because of just striping out conversation. And yes. it hasn't been some kind of thing that have, have, we have been, it's been created. And that's great. Um, <clears throat> we need to get together. We need to have Halloween parties, all saints parties mm -hmm. and get together. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I've got one question that, um, is despair some kind of pedagogy from God? If we have, this is a uh, Laroist asking, oh. if you have something to learn, we can find our satisfaction in God only because the rest of the things are some source of despair of set and satisfaction. I, if I understand your question here, Laroist, I think that when we have attachments to earthly things and they're taken away, we can feel a great despairing feeling, which is a, a sense of loss which it is, that is definitely a pedagogy because God takes away all of our earthly attachments one by one, whether that's our possessions or our family members. And I think that there's absolutely a pedagogy because we need to be detached from earthly things in order to have true hope because it's a confidence in God. That's God is the one thing unchanging. Everything else is shifting around and will corrupt and thieves and thieves will break in and steal Ma, uh, you know, mold will destroy and taking away those things. Absolutely important to sort of that despair as a pedagogy. Well, and I would say I would distinguish between like the sin of despair and um, things just being kind of hopeless, <laughs> you know, like, so, I mean, uh, you know, you're in a concentration camp. That's a really hopeless situation, but you don't go to the point where like you despair of the salvific nature of the Catholic faith, you know? So sure. Yeah. Uh, taking things away is a really good way of learning a lesson. You do it to your children. Sometimes mm -hmm. your father in heaven might do it to you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Very important. Yeah. Like what you're saying, the sin of despair is an act of the will. That's, yes, that's an important exactly. aspect is that all sin is an act of the will. If you're just having a feeling, a feeling is an emotion. An emotion is not an act of the will. It's something that you're feeling. So that's a very important for scrupulous minds to always distinguish because if you're just feeling something and if you feel overwhelmed and you have a feeling of despair, 
you're not actually acting on your will. What you do in response to that feeling, that is either a sin or meritorious. It can be meritorious if you white knuckle pray your rosary, even if you feel nothing at all. Yep. You feel complete despair in your feelings, mm -hmm. but you white knuckle your rosary. You, um, for I, not, I don't know if that phrase means everything to everybody outside of America. That that simply means to force yourself to pray, even if you don't feel it. Force yourself to do it. And and a lot of times we get so caught up on feelings that we think about the feelings are from God. And if we don't have the feelings, but that's actually the time when God, when God takes away your feelings, that is the most meritorious time because that is taking up your cross and really being crucified and embracing the cross, the suffering. So that's a very important part. Uh, my brother Francis over in Oman, he says, Oman, wow. <laughs> can you speak about the need for men to be more present regarding living a devout life in public in response to the violent anti-Catholic threats, Lyon style. Mm -hmm. So Francis, I think you're referring to the French attacks by Mohammedans. Mm -hmm. um, Kennedy, any thoughts on that being more present? Yeah. I mean, he's got to pray in public. I think that's the first thing you have to do. Um, once again, this is such a tragedy. Okay. Uh, all these traditions we had of public piety, which were organic and natural, grew out of the faith. They've all been destroyed. I mean, when was the last time? I mean, the average Novus Ordo parish doesn't even know what a procession is, let alone going to be able to organize one. And um, <clears throat> I don't uh, I don't think there's some sort of silver bullet. You just have to pray in public. So organize uh, rosary. I mean, we did the Reparation for Our Nation event with the Fatima Center. And I mean, the gathering rules were so strict in our province. We only had about 50 people. We didn't want to make it a protest, so to speak, and, and cause all that ruckus. Um, but even there, I mean, people were so edified just praying the rosary with a beautiful, processing a beautiful statue of Our Lady out front of the parliament. People are still talking about it. They, get, they send me messages or whatever, and and that was so great. Just pray in public. Um, if your priest is going to do it, wonderful. I hope he does. But if not, get your buddies together and just pray a rosary in front of your parish. And uh, that's all you can really do, I think. Yeah, there's a picture of a, of a procession you have right there. Yeah, I always think of Spain. Shout out to our, all our Spanish brethren. Because I always, I always think uh, about the uh, the Spanish piety. Because, yeah, processions, yeah. to my knowledge, as far as I know about Spanish piety, processions were the thing, uh, the big festival that everybody showed up. I mean, the, they line the streets and pack everything. Um, it, it's, it's a difficult time. I know... Uh, from what I, from what I can gather about the French culture uh, in in today, it, it's very unfortunate because the Mohammedan invasion of Europe is an invasion. Uh, it, the European leaders appeared just just like many of them in America. They misunderstand what Mohammedanism is. Mohammedanism does not distinguish between politics and religion. It is a political religion. Period. It's the same thing. And so they allow this to continue and they do not restrict and enforce the laws. This is something that Robert Spencer brings up. If we just enforce the laws in even in America, laws against polygamy, laws against female genital mutilation, laws that that clamp down on all these excesses of the Mohammedans to enforce our laws. If you want to come to the Western world, you have to, you have to conform yourself to Christian laws like no polygamy, but in Europe, especially, and this is true in America, but less so, I think um, we've just let the Mohammedans in the name of culturalization or some ridiculous notion, we've just allowed them to set up their own laws, their own, their own might, um, <clears throat> their own system of things. We need to make it clear in no uncertain terms that they have to conform to the Christian laws. But in terms of public piety, I think you're absolutely right, Kennedy. Uh, we need to, I, I love the, I know that it was in Argentina. I think there were men arm in arm around a cathedral praying the rosary. That was some feminists, I think, coming after them at then. But 
it's very difficult when you have these attacks by the Mohammedans, these individual attacks that's hard to protect against. That, that's what I thought about the attacks. I mean, I, I don't know anything about the attacks and nothing against anyone who's involved. But if there's any some kind of any attack of any kind, the men need to be right there taking down the attacker. That's your duty, men. Any attacker who comes, your duty is to take him down. And that's your public piety, first of all. Yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 It's uh, all we can do is pray at this moment. And I don't mean that in a defeatist sense, but that's always been the way it is. You know, Um, when you go in, I mean, soldiers traditionally would go into battle with priests and they'd have their confessions heard before. And, and, um, you know, a friend of mine, a pious man, I really respect him. He always says to me, I mean, he's about 52 years old or something. He says, Kennedy, I'm in the end times. He says, he says, uh, you know, my family history of this, this, and this, or whatever. He says, my end times are in 20 to 30 years. And he's right. You know, he is. He's in his end times, <clears throat> which uh, we all are in the end times. Like after Christ rose from the dead, we are now in the end times. We are in the last epoch. You know, there's the pre-Christ and there's after Christ. And then the next thing that's going to happen is he's going to come in the second coming. That's the end. So we're in the times leading up to that, whether it's going to be a year or a thousand years. That's where we are. And Christ told us to stay watchful because he might come in the night. So all we can do is pray. Um, And as far as people who have, you know, religions and things like that, that have an anti-Christian spirit, I guess. One thing to remember is um, if they're not baptized, they have no defense against the devil. So um, we should be praying. This is why Christ tells us to pray for our enemies. And we should be praying for the conversion of all those who seek to do harm to the Christian civilization. Because ultimately, there's no difference ontologically between you and, well, I guess baptism. But there's no no difference in your human nature between you and them or me and them. So we pray for their conversion. Because there's a lot of people out there that are non-Christians that have a great piety, at least naturally speaking, for whatever religion they have. And it'd be wonderful if we could convert that to um, a greater fervency in prayer for the true faith. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's offer up an Our Father for all the men of God to face this this time. Today is the election of the, in the United States. We pray that God's will be done in this election. We obviously, I, I, we're both in support of, of Trump. Uh, yeah. Can it? Can, I'm not voting for him, though. I, I can't do it. Yes. Canada is lending us his moral support for the Trump campaign. Um, as we've argued before in this show, in my opinion, from my view, I think voting for Biden is a sinful cooperation in evil. Yeah. I think Catholics could be permitted to vote for Trump or another candidate. But you do have a duty to vote to secure the common good, because as insofar as it depends on you you do have some power in a democracy to vote and to secure the common good so you should vote to secure the common good as much as you can so let's offer up on our father for the intention of all the men of god throughout the world that we can face whatever's next in this situation with true hope and the hope of our fathers who triumphed over death in nomine patris et spiritus sancti amen Pater noster qui es in cedis, sanctificeta nomen tuum, adveneno regnum tuum, fiat vadantas tua, sicut in cedo et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimitti nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimittimus debitoribus nostris, en enos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. In nomine Patris, et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen.